Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries. I'm John, and for this episode, I'm going to be answering some of the voicemails I've received. Hey, John, Mark from the Yawning Owlbear. Boy, you want to talk about firsts. I've got two. My first character death, and my first hard-learned lesson on how magic items work, and who should mess with those. My first death, I started playing back in 2013 for Tabletop uh, with Pathfinder. Yes, third edition in general was my my first edition. And my first character was a level 7 fighter dwarf who I named Krieger. And first encounter was with a troll. And this happened to be my first and last encounter as, to put it bluntly, I got cocky. Continuing part 2. And by cocky, I decided, for some strange reason, to make groin shots with my axe. <laughs> and nobody bothered to tell me that a troll obviously has regenerative properties, and this was before I even knew better. Long story short, the very first two claws that hit me, I got rent apart for about, uh, let's say, it was a 60 points of damage, and that was that. My second first, learning how to mess with magic items. Came into a room, there was a glass casing, the glass glowed, and the pillow glowed that the object inside sat on, and it was a magical bracelet that I was going to use as a beard clasp. That also glowed as well. Onward with part three. So, after the mage in our group was able to identify what the glass casing was, we weren't able to identify what was on the pillow. Um, managed to shatter it, I got my beard clasp. And the current cleric in our group, uh, my buddy Mike Smith, who is a bit of a chaotic player and likes to pull pranks and jokes, being a newbie, decides to uh, peer pressure me into going for the pillow. Well, I fell for it, and I went and I touched the pillow, and I took 60 points of damage for it. it turns out that the pillow had inflict bodily harm on it. So yeah, that was a hard-learned lesson. Uh bit of karma, though, for him, when he tried to get me to go through a portal the very first time, I said no, and in turn, he gets killed by a clay golem. So, yep, that's my first. <laughs> that was Mark C. Wallering there from the excellent podcast, The Yawning Owlbear. Thank you very much for calling in, Mark. Yeah, I still remember when it comes to trolls the first time way, way back in the almost prehistoric mists of time when I was first playing D&D with some friends from school and that first time when you thought you'd taken a troll down and sort of left it alone and didn't know you had to drench it in acid or burn the body or whatever and a few moments later you heard it rising up again and you had to kick its ass all over again or as was the likely case get your own ass kicked by the resurrected troll so I entirely sympathize there Mark as for the magic items, yeah, like I say, I started playing uh, role-playing games with some guys 
from my school when I was a lot younger. And we'd first started with like fantasy war gaming, you know, like the games workshop stuff and whatever. So we were used to like the more sort of antagonistic games, you know, you're fighting your armies against each other. And when we first sort of transitioned or as, as was the case, like dipped our toes into role-playing games occasionally, there was a lot of sort of banter, I suppose you'd call it nowadays, and antagonism and tricking people into picking up cursed items and stuff like that. <laughs> I think, to be honest, it's a miracle sometimes we didn't come to blows during those games. But we were all school friends, and you, know, you had that thing where there were people were your mates, but you used to like take the mick out of each other and stuff like that. So it was all really in good fun, and there were no like, serious hard feelings at the end of it so thank you very much for ringing in mark let's see who's next on the list of voicemails hi john thanks for your message and um, it was really nice to um be involved in the recording of purple worm real uh, real pleasure and i just wanted to say that um you know if you're looking for an uninformed opinion in future don't hesitate to ask. Uh, but as for coming up to Edinburgh, I'm afraid you're going to have to go a little bit further than that because I am just outside Inverness. So, you know, when you pass that sign that says, Welcome to Scotland, where well, you've still got probably another five hours journey before you reach me. But, um, yeah, we'll have to look into sorting something out. Anyway, great to hear from you. Take care, mate. That was Spencer, a.k.a. Free Thrall, from the brilliant podcast Keep Off the Borderlands. I highly recommend you go and check that out. Spencer was kind enough to join us recently as a guest host on a few episodes of the Purple Worm group cast that myself, Dave Aldridge, Pete Jones, and Colin Spike-Pitt-Green record. And it was great to have Spencer on, as well as to sort of meet face-to-face, as it were, albeit in a sort of digital conference form. And I'm sure we would quite happily have you on as a guest host again, Spencer. We really enjoyed having you for those episodes. Just to let you know, if you're listening out there, that his references to Scotland are because we're talking about trying to get the Purple Worm hosts together in person. And with Spencer... So running a B&B in Scotland, we suggested that perhaps maybe as a bit of a purple worm road trip, we could actually go up there and stay at the B&B because it would be nice to see everyone in person. Now, I've got to admit, I did get mixed up with the, the place where the B&B is, which goes to prove that I'm probably not the best person to be driving on this trip. And as I've said, my sense of direction is dank in the extreme so thank you very much for correcting me there spencer and as for that sign that says welcome to scotland i've passed it a few times but in my mind what it always says is welcome to scotland you can camp anywhere you want as long as you are not being an arsehole there are no dank laws like in england to stop you from doing that or to force you to pay exorbitant amounts to stay at an official campsite well at least that's what the sign turns into in my mind thanks again spencer look forward to talking to you soon hey john it's rob from down in the heap i'm afraid i don't have nearly as interesting a story as you do about my first dice set but i can trace it back and like so many it came in a box set mine came in the mold vape 
basic D&D box set that I received as a Christmas present in 1981. And it was the type that you had to color in. So mine was pretty much a brown set with a baby blue 20-sider that I colored in with a red crayon. I also had a bunch of D6s from old Avalon Hill games, especially War at Sea. Uh, I've only got the 12-sider left because <laughs> that's the one that never got rolled. All the other ones either disappeared under a couch or basically dissolved because those the dice quality on them was so bad. They just turned into little balls and stuff. But good episode. Thanks. Bye. Rob C. from Down in a Heap there. Thanks very much, Rob. And I don't know what you're trying to say about not having a, as good a story about your first dice. I think the idea of still having one of these old dice, albeit the one that was never rolled, is a great story. And I've often heard about these like old dice which exploded or wore away or just crumbled to dust like they were someone who'd been exposed to the Ark of the Covenant in an Indiana Jones film, but I never really experienced them directly. I sort of got into like needing dice a little bit later. But I think it's really cool you've still managed to get, so keep hold of one of those. And I, it was nice to hear you mention the bane or the nemesis, rather, of dice everywhere, up and down the land, the width and breadth of it and beyond. The sofa, we all know it, that monster that waits until you least expect it and then snaffles all your dice and you have to go venturing after them with a 10-foot pole, a rope, a grappling hook, a stout lantern and a team of NPCs behind you to recover them. So thank you very much for your call in, Rob. And I think I think we've got a Ivy on next, uh, the Happy Whisk. Or is it the Grumpy Spatula? Who knows? Happy belated birthday to you. And as far as my first dice, I actually got first dice. I don't game. I really don't. But I do have pink frosted dice because I was going through a pink phase and we were at a local gaming shop. So Tim bought me my first set and my only set of pink frosted dice because I wanted to photograph them. So I did. And that's that's how I use them. And now he has them. That That's my first dice story. Happy birthday. Whisk out. Thanks for the call in, Ivy. It's always great to hear from you. And I'm glad that even if you said you you don't game, that you're significant. Although Tim has managed to spread the love of dice to you. And as for a pink frosted set, I mean, I've got, I've mainly gone for sort of two color themes with my dice. I've, I've got my much beloved red dice, and I've also, since starting to run the Midlands, I've really got into like the whole like toxic green or dark green sort of color scheme. And one of my favorite sets of the minute is a a sort of multicolored dark crimson and dark green set that I'm really loving. But I tend to pull out the like extremely fluorescent toxic green ones whenever I'm running the Midlands because it fits in with that whole sort of radioactive gloomium style vibe that's going on in the setting. But thank you very much for the call, Ivy. I'm glad you've got a set of dice. And who knows, maybe Tim will get you into some gaming in the future. Or if you want to do some gaming online, I'm sure there will be no shortage of people happy to have you in a group. Thank you very much. Take care, and I'll speak to you soon.
And I know that Ivy has a blog, a podcast, and I think a YouTube channel that deal extensively with one of her passions, which is food, cooking, and preparation. So if you're into your food like me, then I suggest you search for the Happy Whisk on Google, give it a whirl, see what you think. Okay, so let's see who's next on the list of voicemails. Hi John, Goblin Senchman here. Just a quick voice message about your recent episode on First Dice. So this uh, voice message is entitled Green Dice Diaries. So I must have had a, a knockabout set of dice because I remember playing you know, a reasonable amount. But one day at school I went past a room and this kid had this velvet dice bag, which I'd never seen, black velvet dice bag, which I'd never seen before. And from this dice bag he produced a set of uh, polyhedral dice, which were gem green crystal kind of see-through dice. And when my little eyes latched onto them, um, I, I knew I must have some. I mean, they might as well have been actual emeralds at that stage. Anyway, so I went to the local Big Smoke, which was not a very big smoke, but, you know, back then it was, and got myself a set of those. Now, I moved around a bit, and uh, I've kept all my D&D stuff, but I don't know where those dice are. I must have put them somewhere extra special, so hopefully they'll surface one day. Okay, cheers, fella. Thanks for the uh, the, the podcasting work you do. Bye. So that's Goblin's henchman, or Mr. Henchman, as we've taken to calling him on the Purple Worm. If you don't know Goblin's henchman, check out his podcast and also his excellent blog, where he's put up a number of hex flowers, an intriguing way of doing random tables with a sort of memory, uh, locational feel to them. I've just used one of those in my recent Middleland session. And although I, I wasn't 100% slick with it, I thought it was a really cool idea, and I'm looking forward to maybe making some myself and using them in future. Great story there, Goblin's Henchman. And as you'll have just heard me saying when I was talking about my two sort of colour schemes of dice, I am also a massive fan of the green dice, particularly those like slightly metallic green ones or those gem sort of emerald looking ones. I mean, I don't know what it is about dice where they have almost this sort of like magical air to them. Perhaps it's the fact that we instinctively link them with games of chance, with fate, with luck. Who knows? But I didn't know that even sort of cold-hearted, dead-and-souled people like myself. We can have our eyes light up, and it's like we're 12 again when we see a beautiful set of dice. So thank you for bringing that valuable point up, and thank you very much for your message. Take care. Hey up, John. Shandy Andy here. Just replying to your podcast about your first set of dice. I have my first set of dice here, but before I um, just mention them, I'd like to put a disclaimer in and say, despite role-playing since 1981, I have never bought a die or never bought a set of dice until a couple of years ago. And the reason for that is I acquired them all via box sets, as you did back in those days, I guess, or certainly a lot of us did. So anyway, my first set of dice that I can remember owning and using were from the Mulvey D&D uh, box set. Uh, and I have them here. I've dug them out. 
They are a pretty grim brown colour with the numbers uncoloured other than where I've coloured them in in felt tip pen because that's what we did back in those days. I'm missing the D4 by the look of it and the D12. No idea what happened to them. Lost along the way. That's Shandy Andy there. Thank you very much for your message, Andy. And I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, before polyhedrals became commonplace, we did used to get them mainly in box sets. I mean, after the first set of dice that I went out specifically and bought, as I talked about in my sort of first dice episode, after that, my parents, realising that I like Dungeons and Dragons, bought me like quite a few of the sort of like boxed game sets that they did, sort of uh, in the 90s and sort of onwards. And all of those came with polyhedral sets of dice in. So for the next like, two or three years, aside from that first set, I never really bought any either. I had plenty of D6s from the various war games that I played at the time, but all my polyhedrals pretty much came out of things like Dragon Strike, uh, the Dungeons and Dragons board game, and things like that. And I think that's one of the, the useful things about those sort of board game sets because a lot of the the components not just the dice were useful when you took further steps into the role-playing world and i certainly know as i discussed um, in the recent purple worm episodes when i got board games like hero quest and stuff like that i'd reuse the furniture out of them in role-play games i'd use the strange dice i'd use the boards out of various games the little cardstock miniature pieces and it was great because obviously I didn't have a great deal of money at the time being just a youngster. So getting these like presents, I think that's why my parents kept getting them for me because they knew the amount of enjoyment I got out of them. And also the fact that I'd keep on using them year after year, even though they didn't really understand that I was using them for, for different things and for different RPGs. As far as they were concerned, I was using the gift they've bought and they were really happy with that. And obviously I was happy because... I had more stuff to do role play with. So absolutely bang on. And it's one of the great things about box sets, getting new sets of dice in there. But I think perhaps we've got a little bit more. Maybe Andy's got some more to say for himself. So what else is on your mind, Andy? Hey up, John. Shandy Andy here. Thieves. Very interesting uh, podcast that was. Really enjoyed it. Um... I'm going to be on the other side and say I like Thieves. And I think that um, they're very poorly played if people just go around stealing things all the time. Just That's just in a lack of imagination, to be honest. Uh, I'll be, I mean, first of all, take from the early editions. Um, there's no need to go around stealing stuff and trying to get more um, you know, gold than the other party members. Look at the experience a thief needs to go up. It, it, it's the least, I think, of all the classes. So really, if you think about it, it's not required. And I'm certainly, if a thief started, if I found out I'd got, as a player character, items were missing at the end of an adventure when I went to look for them. Hey, sorry, got a Jackson. I mentioned to the GM and said, well, in future, I'm, you know, checking, I'm keeping an eye out. I want to know who's... You know, where, where are my missing items going? And if I found out that the thief was doing it, I'd very just simply say, confront them, you know, and say, look, if you don't stop it, I, you know, I'm not interested in going on an adventure with you because I'll take an analogy, probably quite a good one, I suppose, in a way, is if I've gone out with, you know, three or four mates in an evening, we're going to the pub and we're taking it in turn to do rounds and one of them consistently misses a round and won't pay for it, 
next time you're not likely to go out with them, are you? And it's exactly the same, to my mind, in an adventure. I just wouldn't want to go out adventuring with that particular player character, I'm afraid. But the other thing I really wanted to mention is you, you can use a bit of imagination with a thief. And I, I do agree it's probably a, a poor title for that type of character. But for instance, why not, um, if I was playing a thief, in, you know, BX or AD&D or something, I might try and get a few contacts together, join the Thieves Guild and that, and become a fence. And that way I can say to the party, hey guys, I can get more money for all of our loot than you can if you take it, you know, to the to the local merchant to shop and everything, you know, let me sort it out and I'll come back with it. And okay, maybe as a thief, I might skim off five or 10% of that. And to be honest, I've got no problem if I was one of the other player characters or I'm the thief doing that. Because maybe my five or 10% I'm actually using to bribe guards, overlook the fact that, you know, I, I'm now becoming known as somebody who perhaps is a... Um, a character of dubious morals, um, you know, maybe I've got to pay my fence. You know, there's all sorts of things that I think you can build around that if you want to and make it interesting. Um, the other one is whenever I've played a thief, I'll do a lot of uh, appraising, uh, you know, try, you know, any GM worth his salt would uh, allow a thief type character to be more accurate than the others at that type of thing, just like a fighter is better at hitting things. Uh, and killing them, you know, that that's part of what a thief is, to my mind. Um, but the other thing I'd say about the Black Hat, I mean, I play a thief in, in that, Ar Arvidge, and I mean, I, I took that a bit more, he, he's into trying to pick up gossip and that, and he actually um, <laughs> goes into taverns and gets employed as a barmaid, even though he's a male character, you know, he has a disguise and disguises himself as a barmaid, because he wants to hear rumours that he wouldn't hear as a male adventuring character. So there's little things like that I think you can do and include as a thief. That was Shandy Andy there in response to my recent discussion about thieves in D&D style games and my issues with them. And I think you make some very good points there, Andy. I think my my issue with thieves can really be split down into two distinct points. The first one is that I don't think the mechanics are particularly brilliant when it comes to BX. I don't like the whole grafted on percentage system that appears to have no relation to how the rest of the rules work i mean that, that's one of the reasons I, I quite like thieves in the black hack because they don't have a whole extra subsystem bolted onto them they just get advantage to like their dex rolls and whatnot whenever they're doing thiefy sort of stuff and that i find that works really well for me so that's my first issue the mechanics in like bx and stuff like that However, my second point is, I absolutely agree with you, my second point is that people just don't really tend to play thieves very well, and they tend to just get wrapped up in that whole notion of they're a thief, they better start nicking things, and often they don't really think about who they're nicking things from, and the detrimental effect on party trust and cohesion that that can have in their sessions. Now, I've seen people play Thieves very skillfully. There's a couple of people who play them great in Dave Aldridge's Black Hack game. Uh, I, 
off the top of my head, I think of Jason's Thief and uh, Spike Pitt's Thief, Stilton, both of which are very different characters. Stilton is like a sort of failed actor and he's more of a sort of a, a roguey type, whereas Jason's character seems more a bit more like the traditional thief. But again, he limits himself to occasionally like pocketing the odd few bits and pieces here and there and doesn't actually like dip his hands into the pocket of the party. So none of that sort of stuff disrupts the actual game and it doesn't harm the group cohesion as a whole because let's face it in a DD game you're supposed to be an adventuring party by and large and i think you're absolutely right your analogy is very apt if you have someone come along with you on an adventure and they're constantly untrustworthy and consistently stealing off the party well you're not going to be taking them with you on the next adventure and that character may as well just be abandoned and the person gen up another one because when that guy turns up and is like all right guys what are we doing let's go on an adventure you're going to be like actually mate we're fine don't worry about it and you'll go off without them so i think those are my main issues with thieves first the lead the mechanics and second how people play them but thank you for raising those points andy i think yeah you are absolutely right people can play thieves well i think some games mechanically support that better than others but at the end of the day if someone's playing it well i suppose the mechanics are really secondary so that's it for this voicemail episode if you want to get in touch with me you can reach me at reddicediaries at gmail.com or you can drop me a voicemail message on anchor and remember if you don't like that whole 60 second limit that anchor puts on voicemails you can always record your voicemail as an mp3 file using audacity or something like that attach it to an email and send it to reddicediaries at gmail.com thank you to all my wonderful callers to shandy andy goblins henchman ivy the happy whisk rob c wallering spencer aka free thrall rob c from down in a heap and to all of you the listeners out there for listening to my rambling answers until i see you next time take care and whenever you're playing have fun i'll speak to you soon